Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. It's 5.07 on Wall Street. Rain and 40 degrees in Central Park, but temperatures are going to fall through today. We are under winter weather advisory. It's already slippery on the roads. Lots of crashes we'll get to shortly. First, Michael Barr with more on what's going on in New York and around the world. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Nathan. Let's talk about the weather. The tri-state area is getting another dose of snowy weather. Bloomberg meteorologist Rob Carolyn has the latest. Michael, the National Weather Service has a winter weather advisory in effect for the city and parts of New Jersey this morning. A cold front's going to cross the area. That's going to change any rain over to some wet snow. Right now, it looks like the accumulations will be limited, a coating to maybe as much as two inches, especially across some of the higher hilltops in northwestern New Jersey. Precipitation should be done by midday. Temperatures will be falling, so folks need to be careful because there will be some slick spots, especially this afternoon. Michael? Thank you, Rob. New York Mayor Eric Adams says enough is enough after an 11-month-old child is in critical condition, stable, but she was struck in the face by a stray bullet. The child was in a parked car with her mother while her father went into a grocery store. Police say a man chasing another ran and opened fire. A bullet struck the child in the Bronx. Adams, who campaigned on a pledge to make the city safer, spoke to reporters after meeting with the girl's parents at the hospital. It was a total disregard for the innocent people who are walking these streets. This is not the city our children should grow up in. Mayor Adams says he's going to stay in the streets until the city is safe. New York City officials want to send drivers and cyclists a message lacks enforcement of traffic rules is ending. Mayor Adams said the city is launching a multi-million dollar ad campaign to highlight pedestrian safety initiatives and a new traffic rule requiring cyclists and drivers to come to a complete stop at all intersections. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy says he will require health care workers and employees in nursing homes and prisons to get fully vaccinated and boosted against COVID-19, dropping an option to either get the shot or be tested. This is an unfathomable number. Roughly 575,000 New Jerseyans have tested positive for COVID and overwhelmingly with the Omicron variant. Governor Murphy says that health care workers who are unvaccinated will have until next Thursday to get their first shot. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg, Nathan. Thanks, Michael. 509 on Wall Street. Time for the Bloomberg Sports Update. Good morning, John Stanjauer. All right, good morning, Nathan. Rangers were on a long road trip, 1-3 of 5. Back at the Garden, first time in over two weeks. Another win for the Blue Shirts. Jad wins the faceoff, back at the point. Trouble with a shot, save. Kreider rebound, scores! Chris Kreider is 25th of the season, and the Rangers... 
Just make it 5-3. And they beat Toronto 6-3. WEPN had the call. It's their 26th win of the season, only 10 losses. Devils lost their third in a row, beaten home by Arizona 4-1. Nets in Washington, a road game. That means a Kyrie Irving game. Good thing for Brooklyn. He scored 30 points. Nets hung on. Top the Wizards 119-118. The Marcus Aldridge added 27. Knicks are 0-2 on this homestand. Tonight they take on New Orleans. In Philadelphia last night, the Sixers' Joel Embiid played only 27 minutes due to an injury. He still scored 50 points in a win over Orlando. Another center, Nikola Jokic, he had 49 and a triple-double in Denver's two-point win over the L.A. Clippers. The L.A. Lakers keep losing. They fell at home to Indiana. LeBron and the Lakers have lost 4-5. to five. They are under 500. They say they have no plans to fire their coach, Frank Vogel. St. John's went out to Omaha, got blown out by Creighton, 87-64. Villanova was upset at home by Marquette. Rutgers topped Iowa, 48-46. Australian Open, Daniel Medvedev, the two-seed. The top seed, of course, is Novak Djokovic. He's out. And Medvedev playing now against the Aussie. Nick Kyrgios, Medvedev won the first set in a tiebreaker. He's up 5-4 in the second. The Giants don't have a general manager yet. They have received permission to interview a coaching candidate, Dan Quinn, former Atlanta coach, now an assistant in Dallas. John Stash, now we're at Bloomberg Sports. Nathan? Thank you, John. With the NASDAQ now in correction territory, futures are moving a touch higher this morning. S&P futures are up 17 points. Dow futures up 109. NASDAQ futures are higher by 94 points. The 10-year Treasury is up 830 seconds. The yield, 1.83%. President Biden defends his first-year record. Analysis of his end-of-the-year news conference next with Greg Valliere of AGF Investments. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg 1130 weather, winter weather advisory till this afternoon. Temperatures falling through the day as we deal with a wintry mess, an accumulation of an inch or so. Partly sunny, cold tomorrow, only low 20s. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business App, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. European stocks reversing initial gains as the global sovereign bond sell-off pauses and investors turn their focus to corporate earnings. U.S. stock index futures, meanwhile, they're moving higher. And we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P futures up 17 points. Dow futures up 105. NASDAQ futures up 95. The DAX in Germany is down two-tenths of a percent. The 10-year Treasury up 9.30 seconds, yield 1.83%. Yield on the two-year, 1.03%. NYMEX crude oil is down about two-tenths percent or 13 cents at $86.83 a barrel. COMEX gold down two-tenths percent or $4.10 at $18.41.40 an ounce. The euro, 1.1349 against the dollar. British pound, 1.3628. And the yen's at 114.32. Bitcoin this morning at $42,130. Today we are watching for the weekly report on initial jobless claims at 8.30 Wall Street time. Existing home sales are out at 10. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Karen. President Joe Biden says he thinks Russia will invade Ukraine. During his news conference yesterday, Biden also warned President Vladimir Putin that his country would pay a dear price in lives lost and a possible cutoff from the global banking system if it does. As for NATO... The likelihood that Ukraine is going to join NATO in the near term is not very likely. President Biden also said a minor incursion by Russia would elicit a lesser response. He later sought to clarify that. 
He was referring to a non-military action such as a cyber attack. Voting legislation collapsed in the Senate. After a raw emotional debate, Democrats were unable to change Senate rules to push past a Republican filibuster. In the NBA, the Nets beat the Wizards 119-118. The Celtics lost. In the NHL, the Rangers won. The Devils lost. Global News, 24 hours a day, on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries, I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg, Nathan. All right, Michael, thanks. It's 519 on Wall Street Live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. And for more on all that's happening in the nation's capital, we're joined by Greg Valliere, Chief U.S. Policy Strategist at AGF Investments. Greg, good morning. I think it's safe to say a lot of attention is still on President Biden's comments when it comes to Russia. Russia at that long news conference yesterday. What stood out for you from what the president had to say? Well, good morning, Nathan. Obviously, the Russia-Ukraine comments were astonishing. It was a decent two hours in many other respects. We got some new thinking from Biden on his legislative strategy on the 2022 election. But all of that stuff will be forgotten. What people will remember is what he said about Putin. And when it comes to Russia, the walk back that we heard from Michael Barr uh, in the news there is sort of clarifying whether the response would be to a military incursion as opposed to something in the cyber realm or something lesser. What's the difficulty for diplomacy now after the president's comments? I think it complicates things. And, you know, if you're a president and your own people have to issue a clarification a couple of hours after you make a statement, that's never a good thing. And I think that today, Blinken and others are going to have to clarify to our allies uh, what Biden actually meant. But I think Biden revealed what he's thinking, that if it's just a minor incursion, there'll be just a minor response in his own mind. That, that uh, I think, had Biden's advisors aghast, and they had to clarify it. How will Russian President Vladimir Putin respond, in your estimation? I think Putin must think he he died and went to heaven. So now we've got three successive presidents who have not been tough enough. Barack Obama had meek sanctions after Putin went into Crimea. Uh, Donald Trump, of course, was a lapdog for Putin. And now you have Joe Biden saying we might just have a modest response. So all all three of the last uh, three presidents, I think, have not handled Putin very well. How is it going to stir NATO? I think NATO has got to be aghast as well. NATO has to worry that uh, Putin will continue to be a threat. And what's next? If Putin goes in and takes some of eastern Ukraine, is there a new threat to you know Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia? Uh, is there a new threat in other parts of Central Europe? I think this has to make our allies in that part of the world very concerned. Let's move on to the domestic agenda, because you mentioned that we got a little bit more uh, a glimpse into the president's thinking when it comes to strategizing the domestic agenda going forward. It was very interesting to hear the president say that he feels like he's on the right track, despite polling that shows otherwise to a, to a great extent. So where do things go from here now? Well, on this, which would have been the big story had it not been for Ukraine, I, I do think that there's a, some chance that Biden can get 
get uh, parts of his Build Back Better bill enacted. Uh, Joe Manchin would be happy to get pre-K stuff, uh, expanded Obamacare, even some environmental spending, and even Kirsten Sinema, I think, could come along. So on this front, uh, getting more done, uh, I think there's a decent chance that Biden can prevail. Well, it was interesting as well to hear the president say that the Build Back Better plan, as structured before, would do more for inflation at the same time, saying that it's up to the Federal Reserve to get prices under control and seeming to support the more hawkish turn it's taken. Is the president doing enough to address the concerns that many Americans have about rising price pressures? I, I, I don't think he can do much. Uh, I think it will persist. The supply chain story, I think, will stay bad for another six or seven months. Uh, So he has to show some empathy, and he did. But the idea that Build Back Better programs would help inflation, when you've got an economy this hot, I'm not sure you need to spend a lot more money. So in our last 30 seconds here, Greg, there was a lot of thinking that the president needed to recalibrate heading into his second year. Did this news conference do it? In parts, yes, if you listen carefully to the entire two hours of his presentation, but that will all be forgotten. What people will remember is what he said about Ukraine. All right, Greg Vallier, Chief U.S. Policy Strategist at AGF Investments. Good to have your thoughts this morning after that long news conference that we are going to be uh, talking about for some time. Looking ahead to the market open, futures are moving higher with the NASDAQ in correction territory. Right now, S&P futures are up 21 points. Dow futures up 130. NASDAQ futures are higher by 113 points. The 10-year Treasury is up 10.30 seconds. The yield at 1.82%. And NYMEX crude oil is down two-tenths percent at $86.79 a barrel. Just ahead, is this market relief? And how's the 5G rollout affecting airlines? We'll have all that and more as we check your top stories of the morning. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg 1130 weather, winter weather advisory, rain for now, but it's going to change into a wintry mess. Highs in the low 40s early. By tomorrow, we'll only be in the low 20s, upper 20s for Saturday. Currently rain and 40 degrees. Broadcasting live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in New York. Bloomberg 1130 to Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 991 to Boston. Bloomberg 1061 to San Francisco. Bloomberg 960 to the country. Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. And it's 5.30 on Wall Street. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. And we're just about four hours away from the open of U.S. trading. Let's get you up to date on the news you need to know at this hour. U.S. futures are higher and bond yields are lower. Following yesterday's sell-off, we get more on the market action live with Bloomberg's John Tucker. John. And good morning, Karen. After yesterday's 1% slide for the Nasdaq, the index is now down over 10% from its November high. There may be some relief, though. Bonds are stabilizing today. And earnings season has delivered positive results from companies like Morgan Stanley, United Health, and Procter and Gamble. Still, strategists at HSBC are cutting the recommendation on U.S. stocks from overweight to neutral. Live in New York, I'm John Tucker, Bloomberg Daybreak. Okay, John, thank you. Politics is also a major focus this morning. President Biden's push for voting rights legislation has collapsed. Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema broke with Democrats to kill the bill. Still, Vice President Kamala Harris is not giving up. 
The President and I are not going to give up on this issue. This is fundamental to our democracy, and it is non-negotiable. Vice President Harris says they'll look to pass a smaller voting plan instead. Meantime, Nathan, President Biden held a wide-ranging news conference to end his first year in office. The president said he's outperformed expectations but admits frustration from rising prices and the pandemic. He also says tensions with Russian President Vladimir Putin could come to a head over Ukraine. I'm not so sure he has uh, is certain what he's going to do. My guess is he will move in. He has to do something. President Biden says Russia will be held accountable if it invades Ukraine. Outside politics, Karen, we're focused on the controversial rollout of 5G. So far, the country's avoided major airline disruptions tied to the service. Bloomberg's Renita Young joins us live with the latest. Good morning, Renita. Good morning, Nathan. The FAA is clearing about 62% of the U.S. aviation fleet to operate at airports without fear of 5G interference. And the new safety measures also increase the number of airports where flights can safely operate. While the U.S. avoided major disruptions on the first official day of 5G service, the FAA warns that disruptions are still possible. Live in New York, I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Renita, thank you. And back to the markets this morning. The focus remains on earnings. We get results from Netflix after the closing bell. The company projects a gain of 8.5 million subscribers, though Bloomberg Intelligence expects a lower figure. Futures this morning are higher. S&P futures up about 18 points. Dow futures up 98. And NASDAQ futures up one. Make NASDAQ futures are up 100. Dow futures up 112. Straight ahead, your latest local headlines, plus a check of sports. And this is Bloomberg. Thanks, Karen. It's 533 on Wall Street. Rain and 40 degrees in Central Park. It is slippery. We got an accident on the northbound West Side Highway at 158th. Details on that and more coming up in traffic. First, Michael Barr with what else is going on in New York and around the world. Michael. Thank you very much, Nathan. New York Mayor Eric Adams says enough is enough. After an 11-month-old girl was struck by a stray bullet last night in the Bronx, the child who was in critical condition was with her mother in a parked vehicle while her father was in a nearby grocery store. Police say an unidentified man apparently opened fire while chasing another man in the street. Adams, who campaigned on a pledge to make the city safer, said he met with the girl's parents at the hospital. doesn't matter to me if it's a police officer shot or if it's a baby shot. I'm going to stay in these streets until this city is safe. Mayor Adams, as the shooter, is on the loose. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy is requiring all workers in health care settings and high-risk congregate living facilities to be fully COVID-19 vaccinated and boosted. Murphy also says he is eliminating a test-out option. An Omicron tsunami has washed across our state. While it appears that Omicron, the, that the Omicron tsunami is finally pulling back, we are in no position to say we're on dry ground. Governor Murphy says those in the health care community who aren't vaccinated have until January 27th to get their first vaccine dose and the second shot by February 28th. Workers in nursing homes and other congregate living facilities, including prisons, will have until March 30th to get their second shot. The U.S. Supreme Court denied a request from former President Trump to shield his presidential papers from the Congressional Committee investigating the January 6th attack. There is one vote in dissent, Justice Clarence Thomas. Ghislaine Maxwell formally asked for a new trial after her lawyers raised concerns that at least one of the jurors who convicted her of sex trafficking didn't disclose during pre-trial screenings he was sexually abused as a child. 
The British socialite was found guilty last month of helping to sexually abuse underage girls with Jeffrey Epstein. Global News 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg, Nathan. Michael, thank you. 535 on Wall Street. Time for the Bloomberg Sports Update with John Stasha. Thanks, Nathan. The criticism of Kyrie Irving continues the latest to weigh in. Hall of Famer Dave Bing, who said Irving is letting his teammates down. One of those teammates, James Harden, recently joked that he's going to inject Kyrie with the vaccine himself. But there are no indications Kyrie will change his stance, which means he'll continue to play only on the road. The Nets are playing a lot of road games right now. Last night they were in Washington. They topped the Wizards 119-118. Irving scored 30. I just felt like uh, chipping in in the first half, getting us going, being aggressive, and then, um, you know, kind of pacing myself in the second half, just trying to put two two solid halves together at this point. Uh, and I think once I do that, I'll feel a lot more complete. But in terms of where we are as a team, it was a good, gutty win. Despite Irving playing only part-time and now the Kevin Durant injury, Nets only a half game out for First in the East. Knicks home tonight for New Orleans. Last night at the Garden, another Rangers win. They were down 3-1. They beat Toronto 6-3. Two goals for Adam Fox and two for Ryan Reeves, his first two of the season. Devils lost at home to Arizona 4-1. St. John's beaten soundly by Creighton 87-64. At Rutgers, Ron Harper, two free throws with two seconds left. Rutgers won a low-scoring affair with Iowa, 48-46. Andy Murray trying to make a comeback at age 34, riddled with injuries the last few years. He lost his second-round match at the Australian Open, where right now Daniel Medvedev is up two sets on the Aussie Nick Kyrgios. Battle of Americans, Taylor Fritz beat Francis Tiafo. Fritz then hurt his leg when celebrating the victory. He says he'll be fine for his next match. John Stash Edward, Bloomberg Sports. Thank you. Thank you, John. It's 537 on Wall Street. Time for the Tri-State Business Report. Here's Bloomberg's Ed Corey. A lot of people quit their jobs last year. A report by ChamberOfCommerce.org shows resignations were at the lowest rate in New York at 1.8%. The website reports about 1.6 million New Yorkers quit their jobs last year. About 4.5 million Americans quit their jobs in November of 2021. Plug Power is working with New York officials on possibly creating a federally-backed hydrogen hub as states buy for $8 billion in U.S. funding for the clean fuel projects. The federal infrastructure package signed into law last year set aside money for at least four hydrogen hubs nationwide. New York City's transit system is looking to delay fare increases for the second consecutive year, thanks to better-than-expected state revenue collections. The move's intended to bring riders back to its network of subways, buses, and commuter rail lines. That's your Bloomberg Tri-State Business Report. I'm Ed Corey. All right, Ed, thank you. It's 538 on Wall Street. Bloomberg Radio is on the air from San Francisco to New York, London to Hong Kong. Let's check in with our global news team for some of the top stories heard on our 300 affiliate radio stations around the world. I'm Steve Potisk, and on 1010 Winds in New York, we're talking about the pandemic still doing a number on the housing market in parts of the metro area. I'm Courtney Donahoe on WHAS in Louisville. Toyota's COVID disruptions deepen with more plants hit by the virus. I'm Caroline Hepp on Bluebeg DAB Digital Radio in London. We're reporting on Citigroup asking London staff to come back to the office three days a week as the government drops work from home guidance. I'm Ed Corey on WOAI in San Antonio. I'm reporting Dura Software has acquired California-based Secure Video. 
And those are some of the stories our 2,700 Bloomberg journalists and analysts are working on this morning around the world. It's 539 on Wall Street. The following is an editorial from Bloomberg Opinion. When he took office one year ago, President Joe Biden faced extraordinary challenges. A global pandemic, a teetering economy, and bitter partisan divisions. How has he done? The economic recovery during his first 12 months has been impressive, to be sure. Output has rebounded, and unemployment has fallen to less than 4%. But Biden has also disappointed in important respects. The gravest threat to the nation now is not COVID-19, but the possibility that America's creaking machinery of government might break down altogether. The president's most important job is to restore some semblance of national unity. Unfortunately, Biden hasn't tried hard enough to push Democrats and Republicans to work together. The president needs to remember that he promised to move on from Trump's poisonous politics and start mending the country's divisions. That's why he was elected, and no task is more important. This editorial was written by the Bloomberg Opinion Editorial Board. I'm David Shipley. For more Bloomberg Opinion, please go to Bloomberg.com slash opinion or OPI and go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg Opinion. And you can hear Bloomberg Opinion editorials every weekday at this time. Terminal customers can read more at OPIN Go. And we will have more analysis of President Biden's first year in office. His end of that first year news conference will be speaking live with Wendy Schiller, director of the American Center for Politics and Policy, the Taubman Center at Brown University. Right now, S&P futures are up 18 points. Dow futures up 111 and Nasdaq futures higher by 97 points. Bloomberg 1130 weather, winter weather advisory. Rain will turn over to snow this morning. Temperatures will fall through the day. By tomorrow, we're only going to get into the low 20s. Mix of sun and clouds, upper 20s by Saturday. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business App, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures are higher this morning. European stocks are lower as the global sovereign bond sell-off pauses and investors turn their focus to corporate earnings. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P futures up 19 points this morning. Dow futures up 125. NASDAQ futures up 98. The DAX in Germany is down a tenth of a percent. Ten-year Treasury up 830 seconds, yield 1.83 percent. They yield on the two-year 1.03 percent. NYMEX screwed Oil is down half percent or 39 cents at $86.57 a barrel. COMEX gold down three tenths percent or $5.80 at $18.39.70 an ounce. The euro 1.1348 against the dollar. British pound 1.3621. The yen's at 114.26. And Bitcoin this morning at $42,000. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael. Karen, thank you very much. Despite a last-minute attempt from Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer to overhaul Senate filibuster rules, voting rights legislation has once again failed in the Senate. Republicans have blocked voting rights legislation. There was Senate debate, but every single Republican went on the record voting against it. The U.S. Supreme Court cleared the way for some of former President Donald Trump's White House papers to be turned over to a congressional panel investigating the January 6th Capitol attack.
The justices rejected Trump's bid to block the release on grounds of executive privilege. In the NBA, the Nets beat the Wizards 119-118. The Celtics lost. In the NHL, the Rangers won. The Devils lost. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts from more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr, and this is Bloomberg. Nathan. Thanks, Michael. It's almost 549 on Wall Street. Live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak. I'm Nathan Hager. President Biden enters his second year in office today with a promise to stay on track, even with COVID surging, inflation on the rise, and his domestic agenda stalled on Capitol Hill. We have faced some of the biggest challenges that we've ever faced in this country these past few years. Challenges to our public health, challenges to our economy. We're getting through it. The president spoke at a wide-ranging news conference to mark the end of his first year in office. For more, we're joined this morning by Wendy Schiller, director of the Taubman Center for American Politics and Policy at Brown University. Professor Schiller, it's good to have you with us this morning. There is a lot to unpack from the president's news conference yesterday. It lasted nearly two hours. What stood out for you? Well, Nathan, I, I think it's a, a good use of term, wide-ranging. It was nearly two hours, probably an hour and 50 minutes, that press conference. I mean, there's a couple good things for Biden. Is one is he showed uh, command of everything, all these issues, all these difficulties, all these crises, and he was on top of his game. Um, you know, he knew what he was talking about. Uh, in fact, that, that may be one of the problems with President Biden is that he's so experienced that when reporters pushed him on, will you change anything? Will you do anything different? Will you will you fire anybody? Or they said it more nicely than I did. Um, mm-hmm. Will you make his staff changing in terms of messaging, for example? Your messaging's not getting out. And he just seemed really resistant to that. So I think there are pluses for him, but I think that's a big minus because when things are bad, people want to see government pivot or make a change or respond in some way. And even just shuffling people around in terms of messaging would be a signal that he acknowledges that there's some work to do. The president seemed to think that his agenda, the way he's framed it, is the right way to go. At the same time, though, as you mentioned, he is facing uh, pretty significantly low poll numbers here. Is it enough, uh, as the president said, that to uh, go out and uh, talk to people more about what's working and where he wants to take the country? Or does he need to do more? Well, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's, a, it's certainly a component of what he thinks he needs to do in terms of getting out of Washington and explaining. But it's, a, a, it's endemic to the entire Democratic Party. You know, there are things that he's gotten done that are very, very important, like infrastructure, for example, like, like the beginnings of COVID relief and vaccinations. And there's lots of things to tout to say we're trying to make your individual life better and get through this. And, and his party and hey, they're not doing it. They're, they're really playing to an inside Washington kind of atmosphere. You know, he tried to blame the Republicans, which actually is an effective campaign platform, which is, you know, what do you stand for? What will you do? And that's the big Achilles heel for the Republicans that Biden, you know, uh, is trying to get to, which is once the COVID pandemic eases, eases, it doesn't go away, but eases, what are the Republicans going to do? What are they going to run on? No more mask mandates, no more vaccine fights. You know, what's left? And um, I think that's a pivot the Democrats haven't made yet, even on killing voting rights. Well, what what are you going to do to protect our electoral system. Uh, so I think that in that sense, he needs different people. Uh, he himself said, I need to pivot more from being a senator, senator president to a president. I thought I could be the same kind of negotiator I was in the Senate, but I'm president now. And we need to see him using those executive powers and that's executive um, vantage point to sell his program better. And I think he understands he needs to do it, whether he does and he has the right people around him. That's a big question mark. 
It seemed like we got a glimpse of that negotiating style uh, yesterday when the president was asked about Russia, the tensions with Ukraine, and uh, seeming to open up some of the divisions or differences of opinion within NATO about how to respond, depending on what Russia does against Ukraine. Did the president make diplomacy more difficult after his comments about Russia yesterday? I think he did, and I think this is a shadow of President Obama's red line with Syria on chemical weapons when he sort of said there's a red line in the sand, you can't cross it, and then, of course, Assad did use chemical weapons, and the United States didn't do anything really of note. And I think Biden was it's just laboring under that shadow, which is don't promise what you can't deliver, which is exactly what uh, reporters were sort of uh, not beating up on him on, but asking him about in terms of his campaign promises to the American people. So if you say, if you do this, we will do that to, to Putin, um, and you can't or you won't and you don't have the NATO support for it, then you're back where you started from and it damages your credibility going forward. So I think that he was trying to avoid that yesterday, but I think he, he obviously slipped up by insinuating that we'd be okay with a minor incursion into Ukraine. Um, so unfortunately, that I don't think did, uh, went well for him. So in our last minute here, Wendy, uh, where do you see the president taking his second year? Did he do enough at the news conference yesterday to sort of recalibrate? Well, you can't, you know, Nathan, we all know you can't recalibrate in a single day. But I think one thing that if you watch the whole thing, you realize is these sort of a, attacks on his mental fitness or he doesn't know what's going on. I mean, that that's just empirically not true when you look at how he performed yesterday. Um, whether he can actually make the changes he needs to do to bring people in that can tell him how to use executive power and executive messaging rather than the way he was used to in the Senate, that's going to be the big test of his presidential management style. And at the moment, we don't see any signs of that. But, you know, all presidents make changes in their second year, typically, particularly if it's not going well. So uh, we'll have to see if President Biden decides to do something. All right. Wendy Schiller, the uh, director of the Taubman Center for American Politics and Policy at Brown University. As always, thank, thank you for your insights on what's happening in the nation's capital. Karen. All right, Nathan, thank you. It is 5.54 on Wall Street. Time for our daily Bloomberg Law Brief, exploring legal issues in the news. And today, we're looking at a Supreme Court decision tied to the First Amendment. Justices seem primed to rule against Boston for refusing to allow a conservative Christian organization to fly a flag in front of City Hall. It's part of a program that allows third parties to temporarily fly flags at the location. During oral arguments, justices across the ideological spectrum seem to think Boston had created a, quote, public Forum. For more on the case, Bloomberg's Joan Grasso speaks to First Amendment expert Eugene Volok, a professor at UCLA Law School. Eugene, explain the main issue here. The question that the court is facing is, does it have to, at that point, accept really all proposed flags on the theory that it's created a limited public forum where it can't exclude flags, for example, because they're religious? The particular claimant here wanted to put up a Christian flag or whether there's no public forum, and this is all government speech, even when the government puts up other people's flags, it's endorsing them, and then it gets to pick and choose, and it could say, you know, we don't want to endorse a Christian flag, we don't want to endorse some other flag, and the like. So that's the question that the court is facing. Is this a limited public forum where viewpoint discrimination is unconstitutional, or is this government speech in which the government can pick and choose which viewpoints? And it turns out, at least from the argument, but I think also from the briefing, that very much turns on just how, in particular, the city has organized this particular program. My sense is all the justices agree that the city could say, look, we're going to be really choosy about which flags we fly. You know, most cities only choose to fly 
flags of the United States of the state and the city. So everybody agrees the city could do that. The question is whether the city did do that here or whether it took such a laissez-faire attitude, like we put up pretty much everything, apparently that never rejected some other flag before, that it shows that between that and the way that it framed its policies, it shows that it deliberately opened up a limited public forum. So the way the city of Boston has it set up right now, would they have to fly a flag with a swastika on it? If the answer is that the city set up a limited public forum, the answer is definitely. In a limited public forum, the city can't discriminate based on viewpoint. It can't discriminate against pro-Nazi views. It can't discriminate against pro-communist views. It can't discriminate against pro-jihadist views. So if the city set up this limited public forum, then in that case, yes, it would have to fly this flag. And that's UCLA law professor Eugene Velokes speaking with Bloomberg's June Grasso. Catch more of that interview plus analysis of the latest legal news by listening to the Bloomberg Law Show at 10 p.m. Eastern Time or subscribing to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. And attorneys can find exceptional legal research and business development tools at BloombergLaw.com. And futures this morning are on the rise. Right now, S&P futures are up 20 points. Dow futures up 124 and NASDAQ futures up 107. And still ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak, a check on the business headlines and all the news you need to start your day. And this is Bloomberg. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie's based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.